All right, we're going to uh, get into the scriptures together this morning. Um, you know, there are a lot of opinions today about the scriptures, about the Bible. Some see it as an old religious book. Some pe- people see it as an old, boring religious book, or a religious book full of rules, or an out-of-date book that's no longer relevant. Some people see it as a book that pretty much science has just flat-out discredited, and I want to stop there for just a second. You know, uh, grateful for science, and I pray that there will be people in this church, in fact, there are people in this church that are involved in the sciences, and praise God for the explosion of science in the last 200 years since the Enlightenment. Uh, Science has benefited us tremendously. And I want to, you know, and... When we raise questions between faith and science, the Bible and science, I want to go on record as saying here this morning that there is no uh, break, there is no discontinuity between the teachings of the scriptures and the discoveries of science. It may appear so, but there are not. Uh, One person I would encourage you to check out, if this is sort of a question that you're dealing with right now, would be a guy by the name of Dr. Stephen Meyer, Check him out on YouTube. He is a Ph.D. from Cambridge. He is a geophysicist. He has a a doctorate in the philosophy of science. He has written scholarly books on DNA, the structure of the human cell. Uh, He's dealt with a lot of topics in these areas between, you know, creation, evolution, the big debate, the big conversation that's going on there. I want to encourage it. Dr. Stephen Meyer, YouTube. Anything you hear him talk about, on YouTube will help enlighten you between the continuity between the Word of God and every discovery that we're coming up with in science. And and I want to, and parents, you know, our teenagers are downstairs in their groups right now, but I want to say to parents, it's so important that when your kids raise questions about science. I heard this at school. How does that fit with what the Bible says? We need to be able to direct them to really credible and good answers. And there are credible and good answers. Now, I'm I'm touching on this as a sideline to the message because when I was 20, uh, 20, 21, I had a year and a half, two-year struggle while I was studying to be a pastor. I had a huge struggle with this book. I began to doubt it. I struggled. How do I know this is the Word of God? And all these questions were coming to my mind, and I needed to get answers to them. And I found answers. There are great answers. We just need to help our kids, guide our kids, direct our kids toward those answers. Anyway, uh, I wanted to touch on that. I think it's important. Some people think this is just a big, intimidating book with small print and no pictures. Some people see it's just a book for pastors to read and to preach from on Sundays, and to hold up in front of you. A book that, uh, it may be a book that uh, you may say, I have one, but I don't really read it very much. Or it might be a book that you would say, I have never really even thought about me reading the Bible. So what was Jesus Christ's opinion about the Scriptures? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, then His opinion is going to carry a lot of weight with you. If you are a seeker after truth, maybe even a skeptic, 
I want to invite you to listen in this morning to what Jesus' opinion of this book, what it is. It could be very insightful because all of these opinions I just listed, they were all present in the day Jesus lived, perhaps with the exception of the pronounced science, scripture, you know, science, scripture thing. Science just wasn't developed until the last couple hundred years in such a full-blown way. However, all of these, all of these things, swirling opinions about what this book is all about. Now, you'll notice that I have a table up here this morning with a fresh serving of bread. <laughs> Looks good. And then over here on this serving tray, I have, I guess you could say, a fresh serving of the Word of God. Okay? Now, it'll make sense in a minute. Don't think I'm losing it, okay? All right. Uh, Let me talk about bread for a minute. Okay, bread has a very long, respected history. And I'm glad it does, aren't you? Uh, bread goes all the way back to 4,000 B.C., ancient, ancient Egypt. And then down through all the cultures of history, bread has been called the staff of life, the cornerstone of human nourishment and sometimes of human survival. And here's, here's sort of an interesting thing. In Jesus' first recorded words in the Gospel of Matthew, The first things he said right after his water baptism when he began his ministry. Jesus Christ talked about bread. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil, Satan. After fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. Now that's an understatement, okay? He had to be famished. 40 days, 40 nights, nothing to eat. And then the tempter, Satan, came to him at that very vulnerable moment of intense hunger, and he said to him, if, notice the if, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now here's Jesus' response. Jesus answered, it is written. Now take note, those were three of Jesus' favorite words. It is written. What was he referring to? He was referring to what is written down in the Scriptures. Then, of course, it was the Old Testament. The New Testament's about him. He was referring to about the first part of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament. So it is written, and he's referring, he's, he's referring all the way back to the prophet Moses 1,400 years before Jesus said these words. And he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3, in his answer to Satan. So it is written, man or humanity shall not live on bread alone, but man shall live, humanity shall live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, so let me hold the bread up. We need this bread. Jesus ate this kind of bread. We all eat this kind of bread. Bread, This bread will keep us going physically. But Jesus is saying that 
when it comes to feeding our souls, when it comes to living that flourishing kind of life, this art of being human, living out of the depths of our being and becoming the flourishing, blossoming human being that God created every human being to be, every person in this room. God created to flourish and blossom when? In heaven? Well, for sure there, but not to wait till heaven. Even here in this suffering, messed up, goofy, crazy world, God wants your life to take root and blossom. And what Jesus Christ is saying to us, there's only one bread that can feed the human soul. And what is that? There's only one thing that can nourish the human heart. It's every word, all the words that come out of the mouth of God. Those words that have been written down for us under the inspiration and breath of God and placed in our hands. So, we can, let me say it another, another way. We can take that loaf of bread, slice it up, put peanut butter and jelly on it. We can slice it up and put ham and cheese in it, slap some mustard and some mayonnaise on there. I'm making you hungry, I know. Uh, stay with me, okay. Or, and, and it'll keep us going, okay? It'll keep us going physically. There's only one thing that's going to keep us going spiritually. There's only one good thing that's going to make us thrive as human beings in our souls. We've got to be feeding, feeding, feeding on the spiritual bread. Now, I want to elaborate a little bit more on what's going on between Satan and Jesus in this whole temptation situation. So, Jesus, being who he was, and who was Jesus? Jesus was God's eternal son, which means that he was equal to God the Father. He, he was always with God the Father. There's the Trinity. God is a God of relationship, eternal Father, eternal Son, eternal Holy Spirit, all equal. So when Satan said to Jesus, turn these stones into bread, that had been nothing for Jesus. Jesus could have easily turned those stones into bread. He created those stones in the first place, along with everything else. But why didn't Jesus turn those stones into bread? The answer to that has everything to do with what we've been talking about these past few Sundays. Let me give a quick three-sentence review. One, God created our first parents, Adam and Eve. He created them fully alive in the Garden of Eden. God was right there with them, speaking to them every day. They had his word face to face. But the very same Satan that came to Jesus, we know, came to our first parents, Adam and Eve. And Satan tempted them to adopt a much lower opinion of God's word by raising doubt and skepticism about what God had said to them. Remember Satan's approach? What are the very first words out of Satan's mouth to to Eve, to Adam? Did God really say to question God's word? So they disregarded what God had said. They set God's word aside. They took control of their own lives instead of God. And at that very moment, 
the deep human capacity for living life to the fullest as God intended them to live and all of us to live. That capacity, we call it the spirit, it died. Spiritual death filled the human heart. Now, they still had this kind of bread to keep them alive physically. But you know what? They lost their appetite. They lost their appetite for this bread. Now, their human souls stayed hungry. But what Adam and Eve and, and their family have been doing down, through the, down all the way to us, with that deep hunger in the human heart, what do we do? We turn everywhere else in all of creation to try to satisfy the hunger of our soul, to find that thriving humanity elsewhere other than in God and other than in God's Word. But God didn't abandon the human project. He came up with an amazing plan to restore us. So, His eternal Son, Jesus Christ, came into the world to live that fully human life that the, fa- that the family of Adam and Eve failed to live. And to do this, Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, equal to the Father in every way, he had to choose to lay aside the exercise of his own divine power as the eternal Son of God so that he could take on humanity live in flesh, and live a, live a human life. Now, when Jesus was here, he didn't stop being God, but he did set aside his divine power in order to live a human life just like us with one great distinction. He never sinned, but he lived a human life. You know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, you know what he calls Jesus Christ? He calls him the new Adam or the the last Adam or the ultimate Adam. You see, the first Adam and his family, they blew it. They failed. So God sent a new Adam. And that new Adam was none other than God himself in humanity, taking on human form. Jesus Christ is the new Adam so that the human family can get a whole new start, a brand new start. So when Satan tempted Jesus, he was trying to get him to forget about this being fully a human. And he was trying to get him to revert back to using his divine power as God to turn those stones into bread. And you know, and as I said, Jesus could have done that. But he didn't do that because his mission was to come and live that life showing us the art of being human in all that God wants us to experience. If, if Jesus would have turned those stones into bread, that would have all failed. It would, not, it would not have happened. And so what Jesus is telling us here at the very beginning of his ministry, right out of the first temptation, the first words out of his mouth, Jesus, is the Son of God, is telling us that when he came to live that human life, that fully human life, and he laid aside his divine exercise of power, the only resource he had for living that life was, as he said, the words, every word that has been spoken out of the mouth of God. 
When you read about Jesus in the Gospels and you see the public side of his life, you see the kind of character that Jesus had, you see all the power that came out of his life, where did that all come from? It was all there because in his private life, he was filling his heart and his mind with the written word of God. Now, John says in chapter 1, verse 14, John says two things that describe the character of Jesus. Here's, here's what he says, John 1, 14, the word, that's another title for Jesus, Jesus became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only God who came from the Father. And this is what John says. This is what stood out about Jesus. He was full of grace, and he was full of truth. And what, what two great words to describe a thriving, flourishing human life. Those are the two words that were always intended to describe Every human life. That's the art of being human. Being filled with God's grace and God's truth. What is grace? Well, we could, there's a million synonyms for that, but I can, we, can, we know what it isn't. Grace is not being a grouchy person. Grace is not being a bully. Grace is not being an old curmudgeon. Grace, I I can come up with a lot of synonyms here. On the negative side, grace is compassion. Grace is being the kind of person that other people want to be around. There's a fragrance to grace. It just, it's attractive to people. It draws people. And that's why the worst of sinners in Jesus' own time, they loved to hang around with Jesus. They weren't repelled by him. He accepted them. He, cared. he received them. He didn't draw any boundaries that said, you know what, I'll let you into my circle, but I'm not, you know, you've got to stay away. He was filled with grace. Huge mark of being human. And the other thing was, he was filled with truth. And that's where we come right back to this. He filled his heart. He filled his mind. He filled his being with the Word of God. And it transformed. It, 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 that's how he grew. Now, um, Full of grace and truth. You could also see this description of Jesus, his character in Galatians chapter 5, when Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit. That's another more detailed picture of the kind of life that God created us all to live. Here's the art of being human. To be filled with love and joy and peace and forbearance, which means uh, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Jesus was filled to the fullest with all of those things as an example to you and I of what humanity was created to be. Now, Jesus was able to walk through the hard times of his life. He had hard times. He was able to go through criticism and injustice and betrayal and even crucifixion because he was sustained by the power of the words in in God's book. And he modeled that life for us. Now, you might be thinking, but he was Jesus. I could never know this word like he does. I could never know it like he does. But I want to remind you of something once again. 
Even though Jesus was with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the author of this book, he was the author of it as God. And yet, what have we just said about Christ when he took on humanity? He laid aside. He laid aside his, that awareness so that he could be a human being and he could learn and grow and develop just like every other human being does. And yet again, I said, without sin. But yet, here's what we read in, uh, in Luke chapter 2, verses 1, and here's what, what it says about Jesus. It says, when he was a boy, he went down to Nazareth, Nazareth with his parents, Joseph and Mary, and he lived with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. But listen to this statement. And Jesus grew. What does that mean? It means he developed in what? In wisdom. He developed in learning. He developed in stature. That's the word for maturity. And in favor with God and men. So Jesus, he came to learn and grow and mature so that he could be a model for you and I on how we do that. And he found, and again I'm saying it again, he, his soul was fed in his humanity by getting into this book. That's what made him the remarkable human being that he became. So Jesus is showing you and I how we need to immerse ourselves in every word that comes from the mouth of God because the words in this book are alive with God's own life. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he said to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. So when you open up this book and begin to feed on it, take it in, you are coming as close to God as you can get in this life before heaven. These, these words are alive. They were, they, every word in this book is breathed forth by the living God. And remember how powerful God's word, the first words God spoke, let there be light? What happened? Instantaneously, there was light that sprang up across the universe. And then God goes on and says, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. That was the word of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, don't we know that the universe was created by the word of God? When we're talking about the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God, it has all the power that those, those spoken words of God had when he spoke the universe into existence. This is his word. This word is living. It has not diminished in its power, its potency, since the day the Holy Spirit inspired those holy prophets to give us this book. This book is alive. It's powerful. It is the word of God. It is the spiritual bread of life. And when we get, let it get into our hearts, then the life of the living, mighty God is coming into our hearts. In Luke chapter 24, there's an example that Jesus gives us of what God wants to be the experience of every follower of Jesus. And this is in Luke 24. Uh, the background of the situation is Jesus is resurrected from the dead 
And he finds these two very, very discouraged, hopeless disciples walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a small town. And he comes up and begins to talk with them, and and they fill him in on uh, how discouraged they were. The Messiah, the, the one who we thought was the Messiah, he just got crucified. And all of our hopes and dreams just got crucified with him. We're, we're, they were completely in despair. And so Jesus listens to that for a while. Then he says to them, and they haven't recognized him yet. He says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ, the Messiah, have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then listen to this, and beginning with Moses, what does that mean? Beginning with the first five books of the written Bible, and then the prophets, all the rest, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And then Jesus disappears from them. He just leaves them. Verse 32 records their response. It says, they they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and and opened the scriptures to us? So Jesus opened up the scriptures to them in a way they had never experienced the scriptures before. And that's exactly his desire for you and for me, is to open this book and open our eyes to this book and our hearts to this book so that our hearts burn. There's a, the, the flame of God and the flame of his life burns inside of us by the power of this book, the power of this word. Now, you're going to remember that last week, after I, uh, when I was wrapping up the message last week, I came back up here and I stated how difficult of a time I had last week preaching that sermon. I had to hammer every word out of my mouth. <laughs> it didn't want to go or something. And uh, it was a strange, strange experience. And I have not had that very many times. I don't think I ever had it to that level before. So, and, uh, and I remember saying to you last week that I felt that part of what was going on was the very same enemy who, from the very beginning of humanity in the garden, his tactic was to draw Adam and Eve and all humanity to draw them away from the Word of God. He does not want us to have the Word of God. He doesn't mind, us if, he doesn't mind it if we feast on the bread. He's good with that. But he doesn't want us feasting on the written Word. And uh, so, and that's what we were talking about in the message last week was how important the scriptures are and to get back to the scripture and not let Satan draw us away. And I felt like I was in a wrestling match while I was preaching that sermon last week. Uh, But all I want to say is this, that here's the challenge. We sit down daily to eat that kind of bread. And I'm glad we do. (laughs) Okay. We make time to do that. 
The challenge is, what Jesus is telling us is, by modeling it in his life, as well as his command, is, guys, if we're his followers, look, if we want to live, if we want to be vibrant in our lives, there is no other bread that's going to make that happen except this. We've got to get into this. We've got to get into this book. Big time. We have to make time. Regular. We eat that bread regularly. Let's eat this bread regularly. For our soul, for our spirit. Now, I don't want to just end on a note saying, here's what you need to do. I'd like to, I'm going to suggest nine things that can help us do that, okay? So number one would be this. Get a Bible with some background notes in it to give you guidance, okay? Get, get a Bible that has some background notes in it because the Bible can be intimidating, especially if you've never even read it before, okay? But do that. Make it a point today. Write yourself a note. Go get a study Bible, okay? Write it down. Some notes to guide you. Or, if you have a Bible that doesn't have any notes in it, here's a great resource. Go to uh, blueletterbible.org. Should be on the screen, I think. Maybe not. Anyway, uh, blueletterbible.org. If you're just a beginner, I don't care where you're at, that website, it'll help you understand the Word of God, okay? It'll just give you some background notes, guide you. Do that. Number two, set a time to meet with God for reading His Word. Make it like a meal, your spiritual meal. You can do that in a room at home, or you can do it in your office, not on work time, okay? Get there early, you know. Uh, Or... You could do it like these two guys on the road to Emmaus. They, they heard the word of God while they were on a walk. So you can take your f- phone with a Bible app, put your earphones in, and you can go take a 30-minute walk. And you can be listening to the word of God. You can be feasting on the bread. Uh, number three, when you get into it, don't give up. Don't give up. As you begin to get into God's Word, you will develop a taste for it, and the hunger will will begin to grow greater. You know what David said about the Word of God? Psalm 119, 103, he said, it became sweeter to me than honey. It can be that for you too. Number four, as you open up the Scriptures, realize that you are in the very presence of of the God of all creation. This, as I said, is a God-breathed book, and he is breathing on you as you let his words of life come into your heart. His breath comes into your life. Number five, as you read, put yourself into the story. Don't just read it as an outsider. Put yourself right into the character that you're reading about. Put yourself there. Realize, number six, that God wants to speak to you directly in his word. That's why he gave it to us. Number seven, ask, what is the Lord saying to me 
about my attitudes, my relationships, my habits, my sexuality, my education, my future, my circumstances. As I read this word, what, what, did, what is God saying to me today from what I just read about my life? And it might be good to journal it, write it down. Uh, number eight, grow together in God's word with a group. Jenny was talking about that. I'll bet some of you are going out right after this service today to Blueberry Hill. <laughs> I always see some people over there. That's a good place to go. Uh, okay, we do that. We love it, don't we? Right? Because we get a good group of people and you go over there and you just eat and you have a great time and you're, you're not doing it all by yourself over in the corner. You're with a circle. You're eating this bread. You know what? God gave us his word. He gave this word with every much of an intention that we also have times when we sit down together and eat the spiritual bread together. That's, so we don't do small groups around here just because, well, we need something to do. You know, let's have a, you know, we need another program. Small groups are key, vital to spiritual growth. We don't just grow all off by ourselves with our Bible. Time with God and the Bible by ourselves is important. But we've got to, we've got to have the whole menu here, the whole, the whole spiritual growth plan. And then number nine, get good reinforcing teaching resources like books, good books, podcasts, radio. And I've said last week, Moody Radio is a pretty good resource. It's got some good teaching on there. Uh, check that out. So let's let, write it on the write write down today. This is a new day. Whether you've been serving Christ for fifty years or, or you're just getting started, make it a note today. Today I have a new, a new commitment. To, digest, the spiritual bread. So that I can grow. After the pattern of Jesus Christ. Now I want to close this morning with the very first message of God's word that must be received. And this is a central message. It is to come to him as Savior, the one who died for our sins, so that we can come to him repenting of our sins and receiving his forgiveness. When we do that, we enter into this relationship where God comes alive. He dwells inside of us. That's the starting point. And if you're here today and you have not come to Jesus Christ and received him as your Savior, confess your sins to him, and we've all sinned. He died to forgive those sins. And don't, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I have to, I have to make myself a little bit better before Jesus would accept me. You got it backwards. You know, he's the one that's going to help us become better by his grace. Come to him as you are. Receive him. He's here. He loves you. He died for you. Receive Jesus as your Savior. You can do that right where you're seated. Simple prayer. Lord, I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me. Mean it with all your heart. I invite you to be my Savior. Come into my life. And Jesus Christ will come into your life and begin, begin to make himself known to you from this day forward.
that's the, most, that's the first and most powerful, powerful experience of God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be committed. Help us to be hungry for your word. And Lord, in our busy schedules, which are crazy, Lord, I know it's crazy, I pray you'll help us, Lord, to find those moments when we get a meal on a regular basis. We get our spiritual meal, just like we get breakfast. We get a spiritual breakfast or a spiritual lunch or whatever. Whenever we find time to get into your word, Lord, I pray that you will help us to make that commitment so very vital. And now, Lord, for those that are deciding to receive Christ right now as I pray, I pray, oh God, that you will reveal yourself to that person, those persons, in a profoundly deep way. Be with us, Lord, as we come now to celebrate communion and to give you thanks and gratitude for the great sacrifice that you made for us in your death on that cross. And so, Lord, we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.